The off season is here, at least a week sooner than I really thought it would be, but nevertheless, it's time for another edition of the podcast. I'm Lindsay Theory. And I'm Gary Klein. Welcome to the Fearsome Twosome podcast, the LA Times weekly examination of all things Rams. And we are here in a deserted or Except almost for deserted. There is, there is an intern who just walked in. <laughs> well, you see, they're still working hard. Those interns are still working hard. Sam Shannon putting in the work. Thanks, We're here out at the Rams facility and uh, time to take a look at what happened and what's ahead. Yeah, here's a friendly reminder to head on over to iTunes, give us a rating. Always five stars. Leave us a review if you can. That would be very helpful. Coming up on the podcast this week, we're going to review that loss to the Falcons in the NFC Wild Card game. Uh, we're going to talk about that open locker room with the players just a final time. Of course, there is a coaching change, perhaps maybe the possibility of more kind of chair shuffling. And then uh, Les Snead took the time to sit down with the media for about 45 minutes on Wednesday. We'll go over some of what was discussed there. That includes a lot about free agency, a lot about contracts, and of course, we will always get to your favorite segment of every podcast, listener questions. But don't take it personal if we don't answer your question. A lot of repeats and a lot of those questions will be answered as we discuss some of these contracts a little bit later in the podcast. So first of all, Gary, first NFL playoff experience, and I have to say, covered Major League Baseball's postseason, have covered some NBA postseason, the way they do it in the NFL, one and done. It is the coldest, harshest reality when you go into that thing and you think, okay, really good chance to beat the Atlanta Falcons. And then all of a sudden you look around and it's over. Yeah, very, very abrupt. Win or go home, as they say, right? Mm -hmm. I will say this, the Rams fans on that night, they answered the bell. Right? Yeah, oh, was, yeah, they did. That atmosphere in the Coliseum was terrific. You could see that the players were feeding off it. Yeah. It was just a great atmosphere playing at night at the Coliseum. But, you know, the Rams ran into a team. They talked all week about how experience was not going to be a factor. Mm -hmm. I think experience counts. Back to the playoff uh, atmosphere at the Coliseum. To all the picture and video haters of attendance, I do have to tell you there was kind of a remarkable comparison side by side. I posted a video on my Twitter feed of the Rams opener this season. Although it was 90 degrees, plenty of other maybe other factors why people didn't show up. The bottom line is people did not show up. And then you show kickoff of the playoff game. People were in their seats early. They were excited about warm-ups. They were excited about the anthem. They waved their towels. And for the first time, really, it just felt like the NFL, the first time I should say since the opener last season when they brought out 90,000, um, that the NFL had arrived here in LA. You know, the Rams, I think, with their season, with what Sean McVay did here, they, and, and let's also say, they had kind of the stage to themselves that mm -hmm. night on Saturday night. But Rams fans came out in mass. Mm -hmm. There were some Falcons fans, but it was nothing like the Seahawks or no. the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think uh, it, it wasn't for lack of support and lack of uh, noise that the Rams fell to the Falcons. I think, I think LA fans showed that, you know what? If this team is exciting, if they're bidding for the playoffs mm -hmm. and if they're playing in the playoffs, they're going to come out and support them. If only the Rams had shown all those people who came out what they were capable of. The thing about their loss to the Falcons was it, it didn't even really feel like that great of a game. I know they made it interesting. They're going into half and coming out of the half. But really, it just didn't feel like at any point the Rams, all three phases, had it together. Especially, I mean, special teams. I know Sean McVay even said the day after that you look at those two turnovers in the first half and they were really costly. Uh, and they came 
from special teams, a unit that had really helped this team more than a lot of us could ever realize between field position, Greg Zerline kicking field goals, Johnny Hecker, um, and then Farrow Cooper has a misfortunate mistake, unfortunate mistake of um, you know, really just being indecisive on that first punt and what it, whatever he was going to call, if he was going to try and fair catch it or actually field it. or uh, Ultimately, he decided to let it drop. His teammates didn't quite understand that. And then the second turnover, Farrow trying to return a kickoff and then fumbles the ball. Uh, two uncharacteristic mistakes, but obviously two mistakes when you're in the playoffs that are, are going to turn out to be really costly. During the regular season, those kinds of miscues often get swept under the rug. They're, they're kind of lost in whatever else happens in the game because the Rams were so dynamic on offense. But in this game, the Rams' offense was struggling. Johnny Hecker did a terrific job mm-hmm. pinning the Falcons. But those special teams' mistakes, yeah. as you mentioned, in a playoff game where every snap counts, every series counts, mm-hmm. those just those killed them. And especially against a team like the Falcons. Because this is a team that went to the Super Bowl. They weren't new to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They knew how to do things. They didn't turn the ball over once. Well, especially with the Rams' defense also performing as well as it was. I mean, those guys are getting off the field very quickly, and then all of a sudden they get to the sideline, they rest for a second, and realize, you know, they got to go out and do it again, and they got to go out and do it again. Um, so eventually they are going to allow some points. I mean, obviously when they got the first turnover, they were already in field goal position. The Rams held them to a field goal. But the defense, I, I don't think you can look at them and put blame on them. Of course they will take the blame, knowing that at the end of the day they allowed too many points. But uh, I thought the defense really played outstanding. It was just kind of the rest of the guys um, seemed a little bit off. I think the coverage, with, with the exception of the Sanu play, when he broke one off a, a short pass and turned it into a long gain, other than that, they were pretty solid. They were breaking up mm-hmm. passes. They were, I don't want. They weren't they were shutting after Matt Ryan. Yeah, they were. They weren't shutting down Julio Jones, but they right. were containing him. And you know, Matt Ryan, they were pressuring him, especially early in the mm-hmm. game. Some real near misses. But again, that goes back to experience. Matt Ryan doesn't have beautiful footwork in the pocket, but he just doesn't make mistakes. He had pocket presence. He knew where those guys were. Mm-hmm. He was able to do that. And even more importantly, I think because the Rams' coverage was so good. His, ab- his, ability, his ability, ability, ability to, to place the ball where it couldn't be broken often. You don't see it. It's kind of a subtle thing, but that's an experienced quarterback. Two things that I that could come into play that might have come into play, I think one more so than the other, is just a lack of experience. I mean, it's one thing to be amped up, but I think that a lot of these guys said, okay, just treat this like another game. But the fact of the matter is you could feel their energy during warm-ups. This wasn't just another game. The atmosphere in the Coliseum, these guys were amped, maybe a little too amped, who knows. Um, but when you're kind of going to your first playoff, you don't really know what it's going to feel like. So you can try and treat it like another game until you realize, really, it's not. And then, two, a lot of folks were kind of pointing to the fact that Sean McVay rested a lot of his starters in the final game against the 49ers um, as a reason to why maybe the offense seemed out of sync. I don't really go along with that. I think that this offense hasn't been great at the Coliseum all season. I think that there's been times this season, uh, especially for a while there in the third quarter, they seemed to struggle for a while. But I think there was times this season when the offense just, or after the first series a lot this season, the offense would stall out. So I just think this was kind of more indicative of an offense that can be really good, but when they're out of rhythm, they're really out of rhythm. And I think, you know, Jared Goff talked about how he was going to have some nervousness in this game, like Mm -hmm. he does every game, and that this would be no different. But really, 
on some of those throws early, even on the screen passes, he looked tentative. He looked nervous. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying he shouldn't have been. It's in his first playoff game. But so he was slow to get going. I thought the Falcons did a great job scouting and shutting down the the Rams screen game. Even when Todd Gurley caught the ball, and there were several times when he dropped it, they were right there. So they, they shut that down. Getting to the point of, you know, did McVay make a point or make a mistake by resting guys? I know I talked on the podcast last week about how the fact that that's going to come up and that mm-hmm. could be an issue. But I agree with you. I don't I don't think that was the issue. I don't think mm-hmm. it was timing. He was Jared Goff and Robert Woods were just fine. They were clicking. You know, Robert Woods had a big game. So I don't think it was that. I think it was an experienced Falcons team mm-hmm. with an improved defense from the team that got him to the Super Bowl. And they were just too much for the Rams. More than anything, though, those special teams mistakes took it out of the Rams' hands. Mm-hmm. The next day, I mean, this is just as you kind of experience new things with a team that hasn't been in the playoffs since 2004. Uh, it was so interesting to walk into that locker room and, and have guys trickle in to just gather a few things from their lockers or you know, throw all their stuff in a big black garbage bag as they head for their cars to leave for... Well, they had to come back on a Monday morning, too, for a meeting. But uh, just the open locker room experience, guys kind of still seemed a little bit like dazed. I don't say dazed and confused, but I, it's kind of the best way to describe it if you're asking me. Just kind of like, did last night really happen? Is this thing really over? Um, because it does. It just it happens so abruptly. As quickly as it starts, it can be over just as fast. And more than anything, I think, number one, it was their first ex- a lot of their first experience doing that. Mm-hmm. But I think these players genuinely enjoyed this season. Mm-hmm. I mean, as much as the fans liked it, those players who had never been winning got that opportunity. Yeah. They wanted it to keep going. And I think the fact that it ended so quickly for a lot of teams, you know, they lose in the playoffs and mm-hmm. it's a bad deal, but there's dissension in the locker room. There's problems with relationships yeah. between like you the can't coaches. can't wait to get out of right. there and say, see you later for right. a couple months. I think this group, and maybe we'll never see this again because this was the first season mm-hmm. under a first year coach, but I think those players were sad that it was over, that they weren't going to be able to keep doing this mm-hmm. together. Aside from the financial, you know, part of it and the the pride standpoint and winning no, a championship, finan- no, because the well, actually, the, well, the financial, financial part was always my favorite part every every couple of weeks because those guys would get those checks, right? And it would never end. This was the most fascinating thing to watch week after week, and and I, I almost feel like a little evil saying this, mm-hmm. not really, um, but it was just something else to watch these guys because they get their checks on their chairs or Jock would uh, walk around Jock McLaughlin and uh, hand them their checks and the guys would all open them and they'd look at their check and their eyes would get bigger and bigger and bigger and they'd say is this for one game or is this for two games and they'd see how much was taken out for taxes and they were like holy cow and their reactions were just so genuine (laughs) and it never seemed to hurt any less to see how much of their paycheck they don't see here in LA. Well and also the funny thing about uh, the playoffs or not the funny thing but what a lot of people don't know is you know the players are only paid through the regular season. Mm -hmm. Trumaine Johnson, he was making like a million dollars a game, a week, basically, uh, earning nearly $17 million. When you get to the playoffs, the teams don't pay the players anymore. It's the NFL plays you out of a fund. So everyone, everyone on the Rams was making the same amount of money, $27,000 for that game. Uh, and as you go through the playoffs, it gets a little bit bigger. But it's not like they're getting rich from being in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. That's emotionally, why that, Gary, that, emotionally yeah, they're getting rich. No, but, but that's why I say I think for this particular group, yeah. and it's probably only going to be this first season because it was so different, 
they were sad. Yeah. And, and like you said, in shock, I think, that it was over so fast. A few things uh, to note from that locker room. Obviously, we talked with Jared Goff, uh, Robert Woods, Sammy Watkins, um, Todd Gurley. Sammy Watkins has expressed that he would like to return here. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Robert Woods, I made him watch uh, Mike Leach's video about wedding planning. If you haven't <laughs> seen Mike Leach's uh, viral video about everyone losing their minds during wedding planning, Robert's now seen it. He's passing it on to his fiance because I think he wanted to play a few more weeks to avoid wedding planning. <laughs> I think is most uh, you know, smart fiancés would. Um, I don't know. I'm not saying I've never ha- I've never gone through that experience. Gary, did you enjoy wedding planning? Uh, I was not too involved in, in wedding it, planning. Was it, just, I was kind of, was it, it was, were you just like, okay, yeah. It was kind of, yep, that sounds That's great. That's the cake you want? That Excellent. sounds great. <laughs> Those are the colors? Fabulous. Absolutely. What time do I need to be at the church? I'll be there. Um, no, it looks like Robert uh, is looking forward to that. But really just kind of, you know, it was kind of run-of-the-mill, normal um, season ending. You know, we're... A lot of progress has been made. Foundations have been built. Um, just looking back forward to getting back out on the field with these guys, even though they'll, you know, obviously need to take some break. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, one of the things, the more interesting things that came out of that was Watkins' comment about, you know, uh, there was some issue he had early in the season with how much he was getting the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I think fans, you know, were screaming, how come they're not getting Sammy Watkins the ball? And, and he said, he came out and he said, you know, that Jared pretty much had his guys because they that were there from they yeah. were there from the beginning. You know, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and mm-hmm. Sammy showed up. You know, near the end of the of training camp, about the start of the preseason, yeah. um, and it took him four or five regular season games just to get you know in sync. Yeah. So uh, he seemed to have an understanding of that and was looking forward to staying with the Rams mm-hmm. and uh, getting an opportunity to be there from the beginning. It's really interesting because I think Sammy's genuine in his discussion. I talked to him about it a few weeks ago. Um, you know, and he said, I don't want to go anywhere. I really, I like it here. I like the guys in the locker room. I like the coach. I like the organization. And also really interesting when you talk to him, this is the first season when he's felt healthy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he feels as good right now as he did maybe on day one, but for him to be out there and available every single game isn't something he's experienced. So he likes what their plan is as far as strength, as far as rehab and all that. Um, But it's always going to be interesting when a guy says, "Oh, and Sammy has said this, that I will take less to stay here. Because he said, at the end of the day, you're making millions upon millions of dollars. What's the difference between... You know, mm-hmm. just throwing out numbers. What's the difference between 38 million and 42 million at the end of the day? He goes, you know, you're going to have enough money to do whatever you want for the rest of your life. I, th- I think he makes a really good point. But when you do actually see the offer and it says, you know, whatever million compared to whatever million, is that still something that you're going to decide in that moment or after some counseling with, you know, people who are close to you that that's the best decision to leave money on the table? That's why I think, you know, from the beginning, it seems like, and we'll see how this plays out, but it seems to me that he's a guy that the Rams want to tag. You know, he's, he's mm-hmm. a candidate for the franchise tag because the Rams had some questions about whether he was going to stay healthy, given his history. He did a great job staying on the field, being mm-hmm. available. Him and the, the training staff, whoever you want to credit that for. But they didn't maybe get all of the production that they expected. Mm -hmm. I think they look at it like, okay, he's been here for a year now. He's going to be in there from training camp. If we put the tag on him, we have one more year to assess whether, number one, he can stay healthy. And number two, if we really want to commit long term to him. Mm -hmm. So he has said it. He does not want to bounce around from team to team, from quarterback to quarterback, trying to gain trust with all these different people. He's got a family. He wants to stay here. Mm 
ultimately it does come down to it's a business and the number, but my sense would be that's a situation that the Rams will work out. Part of the discussion we had with Sean McVay on, uh, if I'm not mis- uh, was that Sunday? Sunday. We spoke, mm-hmm. spoke to Sean on Sunday. Um, having a pretty good idea that Greg Olson would be leaving the Rams to take a promotion with the Oakland Raiders and John Gruden to become the offensive coordinator. Uh, the news wasn't official at the time. Sean said, you know, that he's been blessed to have Greg on his staff here and that he would support any of his um, coaches who were pursuing an, uh, a promotion else, you know, opportun- promotional opportunity. Um, obviously, Greg Olson has taken that. That means Zach Taylor, an assistant receivers coach, has been promoted into the quarterbacks coach here with the Rams. And Gary, I know you wrote about the fact that this really, for Jared Goff, is going to be his third quarterbacks coach in three years, which is less than ideal for um, a young quarterback. Jared Goff said that it'll be fine, that it's not that big mm-hmm. of a deal. And really, now that he's getting into his third year, maybe it's not. But I think it is important to note that when he came in, you know, Chris Weinke, uh, a guy who had had no previous NFL coaching experience, was his, his quarterbacks coach. Then they turned to Greg Olson, who has all kinds of experience, not only as a quarterback's coach, but as an offensive coordinator. And working in tandem with Sean McVay and Matt LaFleur, who had been a quarterback's coach for the Atlanta Falcons, they really had some brain power there. You know, as I wrote before the season, the challenge was going to be, how does Jared Goff keep all of these three voices out of his head so he only hears one voice? Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, they did a really good job of doing that. But the loss of Olsen, I think, is big. Because he did have, you know, a lot of experience. I think he could offer uh, Jared Goff and Sean Mannion, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach Taylor is a guy who has some experience as the uh, quarterback's coach for the Miami Dolphins. Worked with Ryan Tannehill. Um, so it's not like they're just bringing someone right. off the street. And I'm guessing, you know, with, with all the experience now that Matt LaFleur has, ultimately, of course, it's McVay who's, who's mm-hmm. running the show here, uh, that they shouldn't see too much of a drop-off. As I mentioned earlier, we sat down with Les Snead for about 45 minutes on Wednesday. If you ask me, the two most interesting things I learned was that Les is not into team bonding. <laughs> In other words, he is not going to be taking everyone on a retreat, making them hold hands, sing kumbaya, and try to get across a log together or any kind of, you know, any sort of bridge that might be broken. Uh, the second thing being that Les learned this season, there are three days in which you do not bother Sean McVay. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Apparently the rest of the days of the week are on the table, but those three days, if you try and walk in on Sean McVay while he's game planning, he's going to look at you with a look that says, dude, you're wasting my time. I don't care about this right now. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, The other stuff, kind of business as usual, um, as to be expected after this season as we get into this part of the year. Free agency is coming up. they got to make a decision by uh, March 14th on some of these unrestricted guys before they uh, are open to other their teams and then the NFL draft will be coming up and then also they need to set their needs as far as the uh, the, who they're going to look at at the combine the senior bowl all that kind of stuff will be coming up and you know before we move forward and talk about those let's talk about Les Snead just for a second because at this time last year Right? We're talking about he's Less, on the hot seat. And, and, he, and that was really interesting because he knew it, too, yeah. right? I mean, Jeff Fisher's been fired. You get through the season, and truly he w- had to wonder, am I also going to lose my job? Yeah, and or if not lose it, that if it doesn't go well this season, mm-hmm. you know, you're probably out the door. But the fact is, he put his head together with Sean McVay. Mm-hmm. They seem to be 
a very good team. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't detect any tension between them. They seem to be on the same Just page, not, if you Tuesday, will. On Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> they, see, they, they seem, they both say that they have, you know, they value the same core values and all those mm-hmm. kinds of things. So at this point, and we've all seen... Do you think seen, Sean McVeigh believes in team bonding? Uh, yeah, do I do. He, do you think he'd I want don't, them I, all to walk I, across I, a log together? I don't know if he'd, like, have a tug of war or have them walk across right, a log. Right, I'm but, not saying team bonding. I'm, I'm saying things. he wants guys to get along. I'm not saying team bonding in the sense of... He doesn't want guys to get along and go to dinner together. I'm mm-hmm. saying team bonding is he doesn't like take you on all those retreats where you have to climb up the corny ladder together and blah, 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 or trust fall into each other's arms. Well, you know, Sean McVay strikes me from listening about to the book about the books he's read and mm-hmm. the people he's interested in talking to. I think he's open to anything that's going to make him better, that's going to make the team better. So I don't know that we'll be covering them on a on a log roll out in Gary can't wait else. to cover them <laughs> on their team bonding retreat. But, but but just in terms of, of less need, a year later, you know, we talk about how Sean McVay is a candidate for coach of the year, Todd Gurley maybe the MVP, Aaron Donald defensive player of the year. Well, you know what? If you're looking at an executive of the year, he'd have to be in the conversation yeah. because Andrew Whitworth, Robert Woods, Sammy Watkins, John mm-hmm. Sullivan, uh, Connor you know, Barwin, Con- Kayvon Webster, yeah. all of those guys contributed. They needed pieces and Les went out and he got it done. Yeah. And so, you know, you can, you're tied at the hip with your coach on some level, right, as the GM. I think that Snead took a heck of a lot of criticism for some of those picks with Jeff Fisher. Mm-hmm. He also had some good ones. and But the ones, the draft picks from last season and the free agent acquisitions that they made were about as good as you can get. Mm-hmm. This, so... I think moving forward, he says, hey, it's not about Les Snead. It's well, not about me. It's about the team and where you are in the standings. But he's got to be feeling a lot more comfortable. I know that we don't want to dig up old news, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> we talked about Jeff Fisher and how Jeff Fisher said, I left this roster in good shape. And, and the thing to me is that Jeff Fisher completely omitted from the conversation Les Snead's name. But really, Les Snead has left this. I mean, with, with Jeff Fisher, it, it is a collaborative effort to mm-hmm. some degree. But Les Snead, you know, for a few blunders, and Greg Robinson comes to mind, he's also made some great decisions regarding personnel. So I, he deserves as much credit, really, for where this roster is at, where this team's at, as anybody does. Yeah, and and he said, you know, when we do poorly, that's criticism you should take. He, mm-hmm. he should be subject to criticism. Uh, but you have to give him credit and the, the Rams for making some mm-hmm. fixes. An 11-5 and season after being 2-14 and Someone had to be do- making some right calls. There are so many names we could talk about when it comes to unrestricted free agents, but really there's a few key guys that we uh, we need to talk about, Gary. Um, that includes Connor Barwin, Sammy Watkins, Nikel Roby Coleman, John Sullivan, well, I'm listing everybody on the team, uh, Trumaine Johnson and LaMarcus Joyner. Let's start off, we already mentioned Sammy Watkins. They obviously want him back. He would like to come back. It's just going to be a matter of whether or not they tag him and, and which tag they decide to use if they indeed go that route. Uh, let's go over to John Sullivan, just sticking with the offense here for a minute. Uh, John Sullivan's a guy who they signed to a one-year deal, and I think that uh, it was interesting because really the first part of the season we always heard about Andrew Whitworth and Andrew Whitworth and Andrew Whitworth. But as you continue to listen to players, I know Todd Gurley mentioned it several times, um, Jared Goff did, and they spent a lot of time talking about what everything at the line that John Sullivan was able to dissect and able to help them out with. Um, so I don't think it can be overstated how much Sullivan really kind of helped Jared Goff feel more comfortable in his second year. He was the the linchpin of that offensive line, right in the middle of it. Um, 
obviously there were some questions about his durability after mm-hmm. his history, the end of his career with the Vikings and came in and played in some games with the Washington Redskins. So McVay had confidence in him. But the fact that he was available every week, yeah. again, an offensive line, all their entire offensive line was so available. There were definitely some weeks when I thought, yeah. oh, John doesn't look like he's in good shape. <laughs> he, he, how old is he? He's he, 31. He's an older-looking 31. <laughs> he's, they, it's, they say Sean McVay's an old soul 31. Um, John, and he grows his beard out with has like, so a lot of gray in that beard. He walks pretty slow, but you know what? He's out here doing the dang thing, and he's, I mean, that's not an easy position to play. Week in and week out, it can't be easy on any part of your body. And the Sneed indicated, obviously, uh, McVeigh, I'm sure, would wants, they want him to come mm-hmm. back. Uh, ideally, I, they look at it, and, you know, in terms of durability, how long can he last? Uh, I, I wouldn't expect him to get a long-term contract, no. but they would like him back. Uh, and they would also, I think, as uh, Sneed indicated, like him to mentor someone else that they might mm-hmm. find, perhaps in the draft or free agency, a young, young player that uh, he can kind of show the ropes to. If we head on over to defense, um, mentioned a few guys here, Connor Barwin, Nikel Roby Coleman, Trumaine Johnson, and LaMarcus Joyner. Let's start off with Trumaine Johnson. And Trumaine's story is such an intriguing one, right? Two years under the franchise tag, they were trying to trade him before the season. There was just kind of this tension in the room, like during training camp, where Tremaine's playing. He's like, these guys don't want me here, but I'm here. And he gave 100, in my opinion, from Mm -hmm. what I observed, he gave 110%. He was standing either on the field or on the sideline, um, cheering on his teammates, providing constructive criticism to teammates, um, just kind of doing everything he could. And I think we saw that kind of end with him being named or voted a team captain. Mm-hmm. So it's been really interesting to watch his transformation as being a guy kind of on the fringe, on the outskirts, maybe a guy that wasn't buying into McVeigh at first, and then all of a sudden to see this um, him come around and this transition to a guy who really a reliable piece of the defense. As you mentioned, they were trying to move him before the season. They didn't know if he was going to fit in or how he was going to fit with Wade Phillips in that scheme. Well, I, and I don't think it was just the scheme. I think it was just how do sure. you fit into the new culture? Right, and are you going to really you know commit to someone mm-hmm. long term. So it was like a one-year tryout. He was very sad almost at, in training camp when he was talking about the fact that they didn't come to agreement or right. maybe wasn't even offered a long-term deal. But as a Now se- that he stayed healthy and he saw his <laughs> paycheck out of the thing, though, I'm sure he's happy. I mean, like two years to make that kind of money? Yeah. As, as the season wore on, uh, he you could see it on his face. He loved being here. Yeah. He likes being in, in this environment. Uh, he said after the uh, after the the game that he want he wanted to stay. He hoped it would work out. Um, but you know the Rams are going to have a decision to make because remember they tagged him the first time after he intercepted seven passes in mm-hmm. 2015. His production hasn't been anywhere near that the last right. two seasons. So is he really is he going to get market value for a for a shutdown corner? I don't know if he hits the open market. He's still you know he's long and he. And, Remember, he dropped a few interceptions this season, and you could just, especially in the locker room afterward, but even during the game, you could just feel, from up in the press box, you could feel his anger. It's like Mm -hmm. every time he dropped a pass... He, or an interception, he knew, like, that is money out of my future paycheck. Like, I, right. to me, like, that's how much it burned him. And you could feel it from hundreds and hundreds of yards away. Right. So I think the question will be, does Trumaine like it here enough to maybe take 
less than what he might get on the open market. You know, I and, can't, and Gary, do the, come on, and, wait, I do you kind of think he does? Well, you know what? You always think that in the, I think, the emotion of being in that, like you're saying, being in that locker room, yeah. seeing how much, it, but once they step away, it's not just less need and the executive side that's going to take a few weeks to reassess. It's going to be these players and their agents that are going right. to step aside and say, okay, forget the emotion. This is about business. Mm-hmm. And just like in college, right? College players, right after their bowl game, I don't know what I'm going to do. They get away from it for a day or two or a week. And I'm it's like, I'm pro. going pro, you know? So I wouldn't be surprised uh, if both lines harden a bit when they really start yeah. talking about uh, about it. But, but there's I, no... I would, if it's close, though, if it's close... If, if it's close, you'd think. He's from California. I don't know. You know, well, you know what, what are we thinking? I've seen this happen so many times. I know, but where the, guys say I want to be loyal. To, or, but well, he's from Stockton, and it's it depends what the market is because yeah. if he comes, if he actually you know is regarded as a shutdown corner or the cornerback class, whoever's available, you know that's going to play into this mm-hmm. too. Uh, the market is going to dictate what happens. If he can get a, a great deal somewhere, you know the Rams. I, I don't know that they're going to necessarily go out on a limb and pay him that much on a long-term deal. Uh, they're probably going to want a little bit of a home hometown discount. So we'll see. We'll see if he takes that Rolls Royce like to the middle <laughs> of somewhere where it's going to start snowing on him in November and not let up until February. Yeah. I, I think, I, you know. He loves that Cali lifestyle. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, LaMarcus Joyner, another interesting character. Uh, LaMarcus, so much happier this season than he was last season. Remember last season he kind of disappeared for a minute from training camp. He was mad again about playing cornerback uh, this year. They moved him to safety. It's where he played at Florida State. He loves playing safety, and he was pretty productive back there. He did a great job, and Wade Phillips had said, you know, when he came in and looked at film, from last season, and he was like wondering, why isn't this guy on the field all the time, not just as in third down situations or whatever. So he moved him to safety. You could see almost like this, uh, you know, aura around LaMarcus Joyner. He's always, you know, got a big smile, Mm -hmm. a friendly guy, but he can also be pretty intense. But when that move to safety, even in OTAs, he was like walking on air. He was like he was dancing so around, <laughs> skipping around, makes he, a play. Like he was feeling it. He was so yeah. happy. He broke out, had a great opener against the Indianapolis Colts. Mm-hmm. I think that was his first career interception and yep. took it back for a touchdown, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, he... Three interceptions for him and then that big forced fumble yeah. um, that he had. Who was that again? That forced fumble when he came in and hit him? Was that in Tennessee Arizona. or was that... Air- might have been Arizona. He's he's had plays all over. Yeah. He, Remember he they will, originally credited to John yes. Johnson, but it was Lamarcus. What game was that? I think it was it Arizona. I don't think it was Arizona. Hmm. Well, regardless, I talked to him during the season about this and you know about his contract because once they got Alec Ogletree done, Lamarcus Joyner was the next guy they wanted to to get locked up, and um, and he said you know. I don't. Once the season started, I don't want to. Didn't want to deal with it. I was mm-hmm. going to wait till the end of the season. And I'm sure he was also thinking, you know, get my numbers in order, get my production, see what my production finally ends up as. But uh, the Rams like him. He seems to like it here with it was Wade in Phillips. Seattle. Oh, that okay. forced fumble. Sorry, okay. I just had to look that up. No, it's that's driving right. me nuts. And so I would guess that he's, you know, Aaron. We'll get to Aaron Donald. But in terms of their um, unrestricted free agents, they want to get him done. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else do we have, Eric? A couple other key guys. Um, 
Connor Barwin and Nikel Roby Coleman now. Nick Connor Barwin, uh, they signed him because he's a great fit. He said so himself uh, on an open locker room on Sunday. He's a great fit for Wade Phillips' scheme. And Nikel Roby Coleman's another guy where he came in here, played one season. You know, it's kind of that slot nickel corner. Did a I thought he did a really nice job. And another guy is SC kid, originally from Florida, but he is another one who just really says he loved it here. And it was a hard day for him on Sunday to think he might not be back. Yeah, I think he will be. I I think, you know, slot corners aren't really – they're not easy to find really good ones, experienced ones, and – he did, a, he did a nice job. Phillips seemed a, to have a lot of confidence a play, in play, I recall, and you probably will remember this one. Remember in Minnesota, uh, they were running at screen pass, and Nikel read it from a mile away, and he blew it up. Like, at the line of scrimmage, he just laid the hardest hit on a guy, and I brought that up to Nikel, and he was smiling from ear to ear, and he just explained to me how that's, like, his specialty. When an offense run a lot of screen passes, he knows how to get to those things. Anyways, he, he just seems like a, a guy who would love to be back. I think he'd love to be back. I think the Rams would love to have him back. Of course, the price is going to be an issue, mm-hmm. uh, although, you know, he seems like, to me, a guy they'd keep in the fold. Connor Barwin, I think that might take some time just as they kind of figure out what they're doing mm-hmm. with everyone else. He seems like he, you know, he's been around. He's a veteran, uh, and he knows it's going to take some time. I think before they make a decision, but he definitely like to uh, to return if he can. A couple of other guys who are unrestricted. I'll just let uh, everyone know in case they were unaware. Derek Carrier, the tight end, safety Cody Davis, running back Lance Dunbar, defensive lineman Dominique Easley, who spent the season on the IR after he tore his ACL in training camp. Offensive lineman Cornelius Lucas, snapper Jake McQuaid. They're going to have to figure out what they're going to do with their specialist there. Jake's a key part. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyron Walker, defensive lineman, and Isaiah Johnson as a defensive back. Yeah. Any of those guys just kind of stand out to you? As- well, only Dunbar because of the situation with his knee, the fact mm-hmm. that uh, he really wasn't able to get healthy or be you know, productive mm-hmm. for them. Uh, I think that's that's one they're going to be looking at. Uh, you know, to me, he's he's the most obvious one that like okay, they're going to have to decide, or and his knee may decide for them. Right. Uh, you know whether he's capable. Guys like Cody Davis, I would expect to be back. Um, you think he'll be back? I would think. You know, he's a veteran guy. Can play. It depends what they do in the draft, right. who they who they draft, and and all that kind of thing. But you know. He, he, he doesn't strike me as a guy that's going to be very expensive. Jake McQuaid, the specialists are interesting yep. because that's when you, you know, how much are you going to start, how much are you going to pay guys, you know, to stay? It strikes me that those snappers kind of, um, as they get into more veteran kind of positions, they may price themselves out of your budget. But I got to think with Greg Zerline coming back from surgery and Johnny Hecker and Pharaoh Cooper, you know, mm-hmm. emerging as a, they do not want to break up that trio no. of McQuaid, uh, Hecker, not and Zerline. Not when you're producing uh, yeah. 11.8 points per game on right. Greg Zerline kicking, and um, you don't want to understate how important the holder and the snapper yeah. are in a trio that just is that consistent, right. as right. consistent as they are. Uh, a couple of restricted free agents who I thought were kind of key. Um, role players, well, Troy Hill turned into a starter when mm-hmm. Kayvon Webster got hurt. Uh, but Malcolm Brown, a role player, and then Matt Longacre, also a role player, who made some great plays for the Rams the mm-hmm. season before he got hurt. I, th- I would expect all of them 
to be back. I think Troy Hill will be interesting to watch what happens with him just because, you know, some other teams might look at what he did and he played well down the stretch and give him an opportunity. But my sense would be I think all those guys. Yeah. I, I think all those think, guys will be back. I think Troy did solid. I think he did fine. Mm-hmm. I don't think he did anything outstanding that mm-hmm. would make other organizations really turn their head and say that's a guy we have to go get. Right. No. So I, w- I would think that the Rams uh, – get all three of those guys back. Matt Longacre loves it here, obviously playing in a rotation with Aaron Donald, Robert Quinn, and those guys uh, enabled him to really shine Mm -hmm. and and use the most of his talent. So I would think uh, he'd be a guy that would want to come back. And Malcolm Brown has been a solid backup Mm -hmm. for Todd Gurley. So we'll see. couple key contracts. These are hot topic contracts. (laughs) Either way, one I know just gets people buzzing. The other gets people buzzing just as much. Um, Aaron Donald and Tavon Austin, both important contracts for very different reasons. Obviously, Aaron Donald held out going into training camp, going into his fourth season. He wanted to get paid the big bucks. The Rams didn't really want to set the precedent, and then couldn't they couldn't quite get a, get on the same page with Aaron's people. And then if you're looking at the polar opposite situation, Tavon Austin got the big money. Uh, he's in the fourth year, or excuse me, he's in the second year of a four-year deal that pays him $42 million. And Gary, I know you're going to talk about how Sean McVay um, continued week after week <laughs> to say how important Tavon was and whatnot in this offense. But the reality of it is, is that's a lot of money to pay to a guy who really played a minimal role. Yeah. Um, they're going to, obviously, if they haven't already had it, they're going to have a long conversation or a short conversation about Tavon Austin and whether um, he's valued enough to come back at that, mm-hmm. at, at that number. Um, Eight million against the salary cap, which is a lot of money for a guy that's not returning punts mm-hmm. anymore and is basically running fake jet sweeps. Yeah. I mean, he played two snaps in the, in the, in the playoff game. Right. Um, as you, you mentioned, Sean McVay talked at length about how much he valued him, less yeah. need, repeated it today in terms of the way he handled that. He was always a team-first yeah. guy, and that's wonderful. But in terms of dollars and cents, um, that's, that's going to be a huge decision. All of that, I think, obviously takes a backseat to what's happening with Aaron Donald. Yeah. And uh, Sneed said that uh, Aaron's reps and him kind of mutually decided to shut down talks during the se- once the se- at some point during mm-hmm. the season and wait till the end. Um, but here we are. You know, yeah. Aaron Donald played in 14 games. He had 11 sacks. Felt better than he ever has by not going to training camp. Um, so we'll see what happens. He, he, I don't think he can use that ploy necessarily uh, mm-hmm. this this season if they're, if they're still at odds because if he gets to a certain point in training camp and he doesn't report, um, I think I've got this correct, under the collective bargaining agreement, he'd lose service time towards eventually getting to free agency. Now, theoretically, the, he could never get to free agency because mm-hmm. or at least they could delay it right. even longer because they could put the franchise tag on him. They could tag him again. They, could, right. they have ways of keeping the player under control, but they don't want an unhappy Aaron Donald. No. They want to get this done. They just want to get it done at a well, number that think, isn't going to go th- too crazy. Well, I think it's going to go crazy because when you, <laughs> when you look at what happened the last several games and how well Aaron played and then you look at how he played against the Falcons and how many eyeballs were on that game and how many eyeballs have now written what a dominant player, not just defense player, just a dominant football player that Aaron mm-hmm. Donald is. I bet his agent's just in there collecting those articles, collecting you know what every scout said and, mm-hmm. and everything because Aaron... You know, 
we said it all. I know I said it several times during the contract negotiation, negotiations and training camp. He's not a quarterback. You can't pay him that kind of money. I still don't think you can pay mm-hmm. him quarterback money. But he should – there should be no doubt that he should be the highest-paid defensive lineman in the NFL. Well, we'll see what happens. If not the highest-paid defensive player in the NFL. Well – Gary's over here shaking his head. Oh, well, only because I think it will just because of his contracts coming up. Yeah. You know, Khalil Mack from the Raiders is going to get an extension. So I don't know, one or two of those, either I one mean, of those guys is going to set guy, the market. Like, this guy makes offensive linemen shake in their sneaker, or right. in their, like in their cleats. But there will be, uh, well, it's going to be fascinating to see if an interior player, I mean, they, I know they moved him around a little bit, but he's really re- still regarded as a tackle. Mm-hmm. If an interior lineman can fetch the number that an edge rusher can. I, you know, I bet if be, there's any guy who can, it's Well, yeah, Donald. if there's anyone that can do it, it will be him. But, you know, the guys that are making the premium, premium, premium money, there's, yeah. there's guys, plenty of interior linemen that are making plenty of money, but the edge rushers are the guys that really collect. So we'll see. Okay, I'm so curious. If Aaron Donald makes the premium, premium, premium money, Will he show up every day in training camp or the first couple of days of the season wearing his CAA sports shirt, <laughs> or will he show up with uh, some new bling or some new uh, some new wardrobe pieces to uh, display his his cash? I think he'll probably wear that T-shirt and stencil in something that says "Thanks CAA Sports," <laughs> <laughs> or just put like CAA dollar signs, right, right, dollar yeah. signs everywhere. Uh, anyway, and then just as going back to the Tavon Austin thing, mm-hmm. you know, I know. Sean McVay spoke highly of him. Les Snead did talk about, you know, his productivity and, and did say that he thought that Tavon being out during OTAs with that wrist injury um, definitely hurt him this season and kind of getting into Sean McVay's offense and getting into the flow of things. But like you said, he did come back and say, you know, what a warrior he is and how um, he's a team player and so on and so on and so forth. But I think that's kind of just greasing the wheels for what's going to be like a it's going to be a really tough decision I know Lesney really likes Tavon Austin mm-hmm. I have to tell you and Tavon um for as challenging as he is sometimes uh or was after some games when maybe he didn't play as well uh, either last season or a cu- after a couple of the bobbled punts earlier this season he really is a nice guy to have in the locker room I enjoyed having him around so I can see why Lesney would feel so strongly toward him or why even Sean McVay would say we do like having him here because he has a fun personality in there mm-hmm. and you put him around the right players this year and he did he was a good personality and there seemed like a team player but at the end of the day it's a business and I think so they're kind of have to just promote emotionally prepare for the right way to to cut ties there yeah and remember uh, also with Les Snead you know he's he's invested in Tavon Austin yeah. in terms of he's the guy that draft they Pick, used the eighth pick in the draft, I think, right, to get him. First rounder. They gave him that massive contract that just changed the market. It made know, a lot for, of people say, what? For, for receivers. Yeah. Uh, so he's got still some, you know, money in the game there in terms mm-hmm. of whether if it worked out yeah. well, they could, you know, he could say, but, you see. But at I this mean, they point. Were, they were throwing Robert Woods out absolutely. there on, on the jet sweep. No and question. All, I mean, like, we saw Farrell Cooper go out there yep. several times towards the second half of the season. So there's just something there was working and, and even if you were committed to him to Taewon for the long term why would you put Robert in that role mm-hmm. why would you put Pharaoh in that role you're seeing who else can fill right. that role so that you don't have to carry this contract anymore yeah so they're either going to decide to to unload it or maybe that's Sean McVay's offseason challenge to say you know what I got to figure out a way 
to to make my to, to impress everyone and make it work this way. <laughs> Gary we'll Klein, see. the eternal optimist. <laughs> Any other contract situations that we should wrap up here before we get to listener questions? Um, they're not in contract situations, but I think Robert Quinn and Mark Barron oh, are, right. are, are are worth looking mm-hmm. at only because I think Quinn before the season was a candidate after this season to maybe be gone simply because his durability, uh, you know, the uh, the last couple seasons um, was questionable. But he played well, especially down the stretch as the season went on. I think eight and a half sacks, and, cl- and then he had one in the playoff game. I think he's at about $12.4 million next year, which sounds like a lot of money. But in terms of, you know, that position, my feedback, my sense from talking with people is that, you know what, it's not that bad given his experience and his production. So. Mm-hmm. We'll see, but they're going to have to make a decision on him. And Mark Barron, who they kind of nursed through the season, Wade Phillips loves him as a you know chase linebacker. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know his durability also is in question. He's he has a cap hit of ten million, um, so yeah. we'll see what they do with him. My sense would be both those guys probably going to be back. I think Wade Phillips likes him, <laughs> you but know what? If you, know, Gary, you never know. If Gary was hosting his own television <laughs> show, he'd be like, and you get to come back, and you get to come back, and you get to come back. And Mr. Optimism over here thinks there's room for everyone to come well, back. the salary cap, I think, is going to be about... And you get to come back, and you get to come back. Here's the thing. The, the, it used to be you had a, you know, uh, the way they, they managed the salary cap it was a different kind of game. It keeps going up. I think it's going to be like about 100, 174 to 178 million. I think the Rams have about 50 to 54 million right now mm-hmm. uh, under the cap. So, it, it, and also reading some stories recently just about how teams have kind of adopted this this method of it's not necessarily that you have to be cheap. It's like the the smart teams. Um, the Ringer just had a, a great story on this mm-hmm. about how the smart teams are realizing that yeah, you can spend on free agents. You need to spend on free agents now. It's it's shifted from a few years ago. You still have to be smart in the mm-hmm. draft. You still have to do that. But the smart GMs and Les Snead was cited in this in this story. He, in fact, he commented about it. It's it's not like um, you're so worried anymore about breaking the bank that way. You just need to mm-hmm. stay in your budget. So well, it was and, fascinating. And that's what he repeated today. Was, yeah. He said, we don't need to save money. We just need to stay in the budget. Mm-hmm. There is a budget. They have to stay within it. Yeah. Um, so that's what they'll try and do. And then just quickly before we get to listener questions, the Rams will be um, obviously evaluating a lot of college players as they go into the draft. Um, Les Snead said that last year, and this is obvious, they went heavy on offense looking to see how they could get this offense going this year. They're going to really need to find some defensive players, some linebackers, um, probably a few guys to fill in back there in the secondary. And then always on the wish list is that left tackle, a guy who can come in and learn from Andrew Whitworth. Of course, Andrew Whitworth's on a three-year deal here, but he's 36 years old, uh, and while he was durable this season, he was available all 16 games while starting 15. Um, the truth of the matter is, Andrew is not getting any younger, um, but he is rather, I mean, I mean considering he's 36 years old, he's doing pretty well. Yeah, he's playing well, he's been fit, he's been available. You know, the Rams, if you look at these contracts, most of the time, even those three, four, whatever deals they are, three, four, five-year deals, they're front-loaded mm-hmm. for those first two years. So they, they look like long-term contracts, but the Rams almost make them like two-year deals. Mm-hmm. So we'll see, you know, we'll see how long he's around. They definitely would like to find a successor. And if 
they were fortunate enough to find one that could be in here, in the locker room, on the field with Andrew Whitworth and with guys like Sullivan and mm-hmm. stuff, that would be ideal. Cornerbacks with Kayvon Webster coming off an Achilles injury. Who knows what's going to happen with True Main Johnson? Mm-hmm. They're going to be looking for some corners. They'll be in the market for corners. And like you said, I think uh, linebackers, especially edge rushing linebackers and and also those guys that can play inside. And too. also, I think just with the Andrew and John, those are two veteran players who they also brought in. Andrew, specifically, to set a tone in the locker room to help change the culture around here. And I know that in one season, Sean McVay effectively did change the culture. But you want to make sure that's not like a one-and-done thing where maybe they slip into some old habits or anything. So you want to keep a guy like Andrew around, bring in a new guy who can perhaps kind of be that cornerstone figure, a a leader, and kind of – I know the other guys will develop around Andrew as they get older, the ones that are currently on the roster. But you want guys who can really learn every aspect of the game, not just how to play football, but, you know, how to be a pro. And, Mm -hmm. And there's no one better to learn from. Andrew well they've had a great locker room this year in terms of you know no no issues no one getting suspended None that we know well, well no one getting I'm suspended no one getting <laughs> suspended for being right. you know not showing up for you know li- for I am being curious, late how many people do you think got fined for the uh, the mad dash out of the locker room every day well I wonder how many fines got handed out yeah I'm sure there I'm sure there were there some were, my, my there sense had to be a few my sense would be that um, I feel like a couple of times I saw guys getting dressed and they'd kind of look at the clock and it was 414 and they kind of just like let out a big sign went they either chose to dash or it's kind of <laughs> like they just kind of put on their shirt and just kind of mosey out thinking right. man I'm gonna just bite the bullet today I'm, Sometimes I'm, your body just can't get you there. My sense would be there were some fines handed down, but I would I would doubt that there were many repeat offenders. Yeah, I don't think so. Not, I don't I don't think I think the like, that a whole accountability uh, issue that they talked about um, was real, and I don't think uh, McVeigh would have stood for it. All right, we have about ten minutes until we hit the one hour mark, which means rapid fire to get through quite a few questions. And again, a lot of these questions are kind of repeats onto topics we've already discussed. So if that happens to be the case, thanks for submitting the question. Keep listening to the fearsome twosome, but uh, we don't want to waste anyone's time with uh, repeat answers. All right, George Monroe asks, why can't the Rams sell out a playoff game? Here's the thing. The Rams said uh, they told us before tickets went on sale that they wanted to sell something around the 70000 mark. Um, they wanted to keep fan experience as pleasant as possible. And if before all you people say, well, the USC Trojans put 90,000 people in there, remember this. Not very often. And not, not very often, one. But two, USC does not sell alcohol. And keep in mind that when people start drinking alcohol, one, they get a little rowdier. Two, they have to go to the restroom. And once you go to the restroom once, everyone knows you got to keep going again and again and again unless you have a bladder of steel. And what does that create when you have 90,000 people drinking beer? Really long bathroom lines. Um, so I don't think that they set necessarily a hard cap, but I think they set a cap and said, let's not let it kind of get over a number. So therefore, I don't think you really announce a sellout because I think if demand's really hot, maybe they release another 1,000 tickets or whatnot. Um, but the bottom line is there were a lot of people there. And, in fact, I was watching the college uh, football national championship, Gary, mm-hmm. on Monday night. Whatever the announced attendance was, I was like, okay, that's equivalent to how many people right. showed up to the Rams playoff game. So mm-hmm. it's a 90,000-seat stadium. Optics aren't going to be great. But I will tell you that it was fantastic in there. No, great. There's at- my soapbox rant. Boom. I, I was, was going to say, great atmosphere. The Rams sold the tickets that they made available, mm-hmm. 
And I think if they had opened it up, if the whole stadium was open, I'm guessing they would have had, what, 80,000 maybe? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe not. I don't know that it would have gotten to 90 or I don't think it would have gotten much higher, but. Maybe not. I thought, I mean, for. But it would have been interesting if they had won. An average NFL game would have. It was, you know. It would have been interesting if they had won. Because they would have had, if if they had won and it somehow had come out that they got the NFC Championship oh, game that would have been at home, crazy. that would have been that, would, that would have been a I good barometer. I would have told them to just bring in porta potties and <laughs> fill the place to ninety. That would have been insane, right? Uh, Matt J asks, my opinion is the biggest free agent signing for the Rams in 2018 will need to be the return of John Sullivan. He was the rock of the line, ten times better than Barnes was. So you guys, why do you guys got to give compliments and then knock somebody <laughs> else while you're doing it? It's okay, Matt. I know you're a loyal listener. Uh, ten times better than Barnes was and no one on the roster that can take his place. What do you think it will take to get him to sign back with the Rams? A good deal? I mean, yeah. if somebody else offers him a better deal, he'll probably go there, but... You know what, John, uh, he got the veteran days off. Um, I don't think his body is in amazing shape, so I think he'll be hard-pressed to get any kind of long-term deal. So I would imagine, you know, I know he likes being out in Malibu and, and all that. I can't imagine that the Rams would have a big t- hard time getting him back here. My sense would be he'd love to come back. The way that they managed his care mm-hmm. and got him to games, it's going to elongate his career. It's mm-hmm. going to make, make his career, you know, go possibly longer. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, it is. It's a bottom line business, no question, but I think he wants to come back. Chris Cook, why do the Rams play worse at home? Yeah, you know, there's an interesting number I put out there. I think they were 8-1 and one away from the Coliseum. Is that mm-hmm. right, Gary? Yeah. And then they were, what? 3-5, um, and five, three if and you count the playoff, playoff game. Playoff game, 3-5 at, at the Coliseum. Yeah. Um, and if you're asking how do they play nine games away from the Coliseum, well, one was a home game played in London. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of put that in the way from the Coliseum uh, category. I asked Sean McVay about that on Sunday. Um, he didn't really have an answer, but he said it would be a point of emphasis next season to play better at home and to kind of try and pinpoint what they can do at home to come out and, and just be better. And some of that might have to do with the fact that when they're on the road, they're kind of just together. They mm-hmm. That old saying, we're, we're, all, we're, we're, we're all we got, we all we need. That's what those guys chant every game. It's kind of the truth on the road, and they feed off the energy of fans cheering against them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do. They need to find out how to be better at the Coliseum because a home record should be better than that for a team this good. Yeah, and I think it will be different next season. I mean, let's remember, Washington was week two when they're still just kind of trying to figure things out, okay? So I... They lost to the Seahawks at home. They were coming back, but that was before the Rams really hit their stride. They lost to the Eagles, who are the number one seed in the NFC. And that last loss, the loss to the 49ers, was like a JV game. So I don't know that the record necessarily reflects everything, but there's no question that they've played better on the road and uh, they got to get it together to to make it, you know, the Coliseum or where, and eventually their new stadium, you know, a home field advantage. Nick Henderson, I believe this is Nick's first time writing in. Thanks, Nick. Uh, do you get a sense from being with the team this season that McVay is building an organizational culture for the long term just as much as he is coaching the team? I sense he is trying to do what his grandfather did with the 49ers. Yeah, I think that Sean McVay is, is here for the long haul, you know, if, if he can sustain a winning organization. And I think that what he's trying to build in the locker room is something that he wants to maintain over the long haul. I don't think this is just kind of a – of a, of a short-term game plan. I think that if Sean McVay can have a successful run with the L.A. Rams for a very long time, that's what he'd like to do, and I think that's what he's trying to build for in the locker room. Yep, I agree. You know, young coach, young quarterback, 
they could be together for a long time and have a lot of success. It's interesting watching, you know, the coaching salary uh, uh, scale with John Gruden getting if that if that deal is real or if it's even close okay, to real. Let's if talk it's about, even close did, to real. That was so ridiculous. That entire <laughs> press conference I, I was with like was like so pomp and circumstance, which is like <laughs> exciting. I get it. It's really exciting. John Gruden's back. <laughs> You know, for once this next season, we won't have to hear the groomers about which college is going to woo John Gruden when he never had an intention of going back to college. But come on. A reporter said, is there truth to that 10-year, $100 million deal? And John Gruden says, I don't really know the terms of my contract. Get out of here with that. There is no coaches. These guys, the attention to detail is next level. Don't tell me you don't. And you just left the plush booth of ESPN Monday Night Football. You know exactly what's in your contract. You know exactly what it took to get you there. Like, come on, man. Don't. You like that? Come on, man. <laughs> don't tell us you don't know what's in your contract. Just say, you know what, you guys, those are terms that we're going to keep in-house. Right. I, it was a fair deal. It's a good deal, and I am happen to be in Oakland. Like, give me some fluff line. Don't lie to me. Like, come on. Well, let's remember, too, John Gruden's agent is the same agent that represents Sean McVay. So mm-hmm. the Rams will have uh, Aaron Donald, Todd Gurley, these guys, Jared Goff coming down the line. If Sean McVay can maintain this kind of success, mm-hmm. they're going to have uh, – some contract talks with him. I at bet some Sean point McVay's too. looking up to Oakland thinking, Oh, yeah. Bob, way to get Joe that money. I'm next. All right, Kyle Pratt says, uh, What about Tavon Austin? Was explosive at times last year, seems physically more talented than Cooper Cup. Will he be traded, cut, worked back in? He's expensive. Yeah, we already addressed Tavon, but I do want to address that he seems physically more talented than Cooper Cup. I think they have very uh, different skill sets, actually. Mm-hmm. I'd probably say Tavon's quicker, a little bit, you know, just kind of more uh, shifty guy. But Cooper Cup is very sure-handed. I mean, of course, on this, except for a couple of drops <laughs> um, that we made sure to chronicle several times um, this year. He was among leading rookies in the NFL, but a couple of uh, key whoopsie daisies out there this year for Cooper. But I, I think they have very different skill sets. And keep in mind, you didn't see Tavon Austin this year in the passing game. There's a reason for that. Well, and also, and I do think there is something to this, just like we talked about Sammy Watkins came in late, right? Uh, Tavon Austin wasn't participating in off-season workouts. He did not participate in training camp because he was injured early in it. So really, in terms of getting involved in that passing game, I don't know that he ever had an opportunity to really, you know, show what he could do. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think learning that system and everything else, he's in the meetings, I get that. But to actually go out and do it, he didn't, he didn't have a whole lot of opportunities to do that in practice before the season. Lindsay's rolling her eyes. I'm not making excuses for him. I'm just saying that. Um, Gary thinks I'm rolling my eyes, but really I'm just looking up a Wade Phillips tweet right now. It's called multitasking. Okay, sorry about that. All Gary, right, actually, if, would you believe that I'm so good at tuning you out that I just tuned out your entire answer uh, I, and actually have no idea what you said? I know you're very good at tuning me out. Um, not just you. It's just a skill. I hear men talking, and sometimes I just decide I don't want to listen to this anymore. I'm so good at tuning out. It's it's actually quite scary. <laughs> All right, Bob says, uh, "How did Greg Zer?" He asks, I should say, "How did Zerline's surgery go, and how did he hurt his back to begin with?" Um, by all indications, Greg Zerline's surgery went fine. He was in the locker room. He's been out on the field just walking mm-hmm. around. A um, few people have joked, hey, Greg, if you're good enough to walk, you think you could go <laughs> kick some footballs. Um, kicking does actually require a lot of your back, a lot of torque. Um, 
not twerk, torque. torque. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> trying to plug little Miley Cyrus in here. Um, but it, it looks to have gone fine. You know, I actually did ask Les Snead about that today, and they're hoping for the best. They're hoping for a full recovery from Greg. But at the end of the day, with this kind of thing, Gary, this is my own commentary, is that you don't really know with a back injury, um, you know, that you, they can fix it, they can go in there. But back injuries just, especially in athletes, kind of seem to be something that could linger. So mm-hmm. depending on when he gets out there kicking – Maybe this is just something that a pain he's going to have to try and manage. Mm-hmm. Maybe it goes away completely, but I don't think anything's going to be definitive on his back until he really gets to kicking again. Well, what they indicated was that this was something that he was going to have to have taken care of anyway, that mm-hmm. either it was a lingering condition or something that had happened at some point, that it was going to be taken care of anyway after the season. It just kind of set in uh, at that Seattle game, and they had to make a move. But. Before we move on from Greg Zerline, let's just say, you know what? One of the one of the good stories from the Rams was what happened with Sam Fickett. Oh, yeah, okay? right. That so was a feel-good he, thing. He came in. I did like that. Tough start, finished strong. You know, that's a guy that now has a resume, and I'm sure we'll see him kicking somewhere next season. You know what? I saw a tweet today. Or at least getting an opportunity. Yeah, I well, you know what? The Chargers on Wednesday announced that they signed Roberto Goyo to a contract, which... Um, I'd heard, you know, obviously, Roberto was among the 12 kickers that mm-hmm. came to the Rams, and I heard that the tryout for him did not go well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's just, at this point, it's become such a mental thing. Right. Um, and then, his, you know, his mechanics somewhere probably have gotten messed up along the way as you overthink everything, but the, the tryout didn't go great for him. Um, it did go really well for Sam Ficken. Mm-hmm. So, Sam, um, you know, isn't probably going to be back here in LA unless mm-hmm. something's determined between now and free agency with Greg or I don't expect that to happen. Um, but it will be really cool to see if he gets on, uh, with another team and by all means he should, he, mm-hmm. he made a mistake, uh, on his very first kick in the NFL recovered nicely after he also missed that extra point, but really to go out there in mm-hmm. the playoffs and make two field goals. And they looked very clean. They looked like mm-hmm. they probably would have gone in from 40 some odd yards away if he needed to. Yep. Um, but here's the tweet that I found just when I was kind of looking up other info today on Sam Ficken just for the heck of it. It said, Sam Ficken showed up to every Penn State Pro Day since he graduated and kicked and kicked and kicked. People laughed, but he's in the NFL playoffs now. Yeah. So that's a guy, I think it was 2014 was his last kick in college. Mm-hmm. And uh, to think you see, and you know, we've seen similar type things at SC uh, covering those pro days, like we did when we were back covering SC, mm-hmm. where kind of older guys show up uh, and they, you know, go through the drills and you kind of look and you're like, all right, man. I mean, some part you respect that he's still going for his dream. Some part you're kind of like, okay, man, like maybe right. time to time to move on and find the new dream. But good for Sam Ficken. You know what? He stuck with it. He he had to get a regular job working at a brokerage firm, um, but he stuck with his dream and and he got his shot. And he I think he made the most of it. Uh, he could you know could always go a little bit better, mm-hmm. but it was cool to see him bounce back and do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy you brought that up because mm-hmm. that. That just pulls up the heartstrings, Gary. You weren't tuning me out there. No, you know, you're I was trying listening. to, but then no. something must. Okay. No, 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 because I knew where you were going, and I knew where you were going was something I wanted to to jump in on. All right. All right. Ryan asks, "Is Son of Bum returning?" Ryan, I totally expect Son of Bum to return, especially because Son of Bum's about to get a payday. You know what I'm talking about, Gary? He put his house for sale. Yeah, you I, do. I, I saw some okay, tweet so about that. Okay, so Wade Phillips yeah, on Tuesday tweeted an address in Dallas. And I see this tweet, and I'm like, oh, no, Wade, like, whoopsie-daisies. That's totally meant to be a direct message to someone that, you know, is 
going to visit him at his house. <laughs> Before you know it, because I'm a reporter, I Google the address. It says the house is for sale. I kind of uh, messaged the Rams PR, and I'm like, did you guys know Wade just accidentally <laughs> maybe intentionally tweeted an address looks like maybe a home and uh, they're like oh yeah he meant to do that he's his house is for sale <laughs> and uh, Wade is inviting people to come take a look at his house because he wants that thing to sell in Dallas mm-hmm. uh, I looked it up on Redfin and two million nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars wow five beds seven baths hmm. 8,742 square feet, which honestly, that price tag for more than 8,000 square feet is a bargain (laughs) compared to what you pay for that thing in LA. If you want that house in LA, that's like $15 million. Well, maybe some Um, free agents looking at Dallas, uh, signing with Dallas can move in there or something. Still a little bit out of my budget. It is a beautiful home. There's a great pool, the hardwood floors. I love the beams and the ceiling, the decor right up my alley. Uh, I mean, wait, if it didn't, if I didn't know better, I'd say, like, this house was built for me. Just take this from Texas, put it here. Now, I would do a little bit lighter cabinets in the kitchen, um, but I do, I like the light fixtures. Those are great. Not too gaudy. It has a wine cellar. Um, fireplace, eh, it looks a little out of place in the middle of the room. I'm not sure if I'm digging that fireplace. Um, but you guys, if you haven't checked this out, 6115 Norway Road, <laughs> Dallas, Texas. Walk-in closets look outstanding. I'm sure Wade put all of his coaching attire in there. I'm all sure, of his shorts. Yeah, all, all of his, his shorts. shorts. All of his like pullover, dry fit, t- long sleeve tees. The pool in the back, I mean, and the outdoor patio, that truly might be my selling point. Hmm. I think that would do it for me, the outdoor living space. And the built-in grill, that's nice, Wade. <laughs> Looks like you were living like a king out there. I wonder if you have a same house, same type of house out here, if maybe the um, 8,000 square feet in L.A. might not be as practical. Mm-hmm. What well, do you think, Gary? Do you think, he is in, you think he's living like this kind of king, king out here? I think he could be living as a king, but I don't think you can find 8,000 square feet for $2.9 million in the <laughs> metropolitan Los Angeles area. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyways, but we do think Wayne Phillips is returning. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Definitely, yes. Yeah. Ed Ellis, uh, Watkins Joiner, True Who Stays. Um, if you're Gary, go ahead. Watkins Joiner, Trumaine. Uh Watkins and Joiner, for sure. Um, well, I shouldn't say for sure, but I would guess they'd be back. Trumaine, tough call. Tough call because I just don't know what the market's going to be and how many different cornerbacks are going to be out there. You know what he might uh, what he might bring. Selfishly, I would like to see all three of them return because mm-hmm. all three of these guys are really great guys in the locker room. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, very uh, open to interviews, willing to chat. Um, so from uh, from a business standpoint, they're all three great for business for us. Great mm-hmm. to talk to, fun mm-hmm. personalities. Uh, realistically, I think the only one who I really anticipate being back is LaMarcus Joyner. Hmm. I think uh, Sammy Watkins is going to end up in San Francisco. Seems to be a he hot may. rumor. Hot rumor, and I'm sure they'd like him, but uh, we'll see. Okay. We're not going rapid fire. We, it's, we're now five minutes overtime. All right, rapid fire. Lots of good questions. Tim, the Falcons took away Gurley in the passing game. What adjustments do you think the Rams should have made to attack the Atlanta defense? Still a great season for the Rams and for the fearsome twosome. Oh, thanks, Tim. That's really nice. Um, what kind of mm, – you know, I just – I don't know. Going back and looking at the game – 
Uh, I think they should have run Gurley a little bit more. I think he was doing great. 14 carries. I think it was 101 yards. Mm-hmm. Just, I think they should have handed the ball off a few more times. They targeted him 10 times. He had four catches for 10 yards. Mm-hmm. So the Falcons did a good job with him. And I think, you know, Gurley on some level was his own worst enemy. He dropped some of those screen passes that, you know, or was or Jared threw it to the wrong shoulder, whatever it was, they just weren't able to do it. And it didn't look like that necessarily Atlanta was, uh, you know, loading the box to stop that run, but they did an excellent job every time Gurley caught it of being right there. And they had, and guess what? Their corners and safeties are really good, but those cornerbacks on their open field tackling were terrific. Mm-hmm. Eric Litzer asks, or says, I should say, Andrew Whitworth is amazing. What's behind him if there's an injury or other issue? Um, chance of more free agent work or draft work to shore up the offensive line. Hey, Eric, uh, we kind of addressed this, but just, yeah, in the draft they want to find somebody who's young who can uh, – Whitworth can kind of mentor and and help develop. Um, but that offensive line depth is something that they definitely – one way, either through free agency or through the draft, something they want to – develop a bit of mm-hmm. pacific og says uh how often will we get fearsome to some podcasts in the off season mm. well if it's up to gary klein <laughs> we'll be recording one of these every day uh published every day at 7 a.m that's not feasible not feasible <laughs> well hopefully there's enough news happening that would warrant us doing these um Shall I say every week or Gary, let's, let's hedge our bets here <laughs> okay. for a minute. Let's hedge the, our bets. At the very, no, at the very least, we, we could be doing mailbags we, every week. Reader uh, questions. We, well, you know, then you, you don't want to know what kind of questions <laughs> people start sending in in, say, June. Well, I, th- I mean, like, like. Well, let's Gary, see how it goes. Like, that's what I'm trying to say. Okay. We will continue to podcast. I don't want to confirm whether it'll be a weekly um, bi-weekly or monthly, but we when there is important news, you can we can almost promise. I'm not going to quite promise, but there should be some podcasts coming through for you guys. So we'll definitely stick with you through the off season. The point is, we we enjoy it. I I enjoy it. I know you don't, but or I'm joking. We enjoy doing it. We enjoy the fact that you guys are listening yeah. and that you're responding with questions. So we'll I, I just my only fear is oh Gary's like making this like sad face. Oh gosh. So emotional, Gary. Gary's also like, he doesn't understand that. You start asking people for, soliciting for questions when there's absolutely no, like in July. No, July's, we're ramping up for training camp, so that's a lie. When is there Um, not something going on uh, in the NFL? The bottom line is, if you start soliciting for questions all the time, you're going to get these hypotheticals that, like, would make even the most daring coach just cringe at some of the hypotheticals. But but we're not coaches. We can deal in hypotheticals. That's what's fun about this. (laughs) <laughs> Moving on. Calvin Ward asks, I have thoroughly... Oh, he says... Oh, thanks, Calvin. I've thoroughly enjoyed walking to the car and fearsome twosome. This made following the Rams so much fun. Please do it again in 2018. We'd love to. Calvin, if you haven't already, I'm sure you have because you're a very loyal listener. Head on over to iTunes. Leave us a rating. Five stars. And a review. <laughs> uh, what are your predictions on who will not be back with Rams? Okay, Calvin got that question. Moving on. Rob Schaefer, when does uh, renovation start on the Coliseum structure? Where will you sit? I'm concerned you'll get moved. Save 131, 132. You know what? Our seats might not be spared. Uh, construction will be uh, going on next season when the Rams are in there. It has actually already begun. It mm. began the other day. 
Uh, there's going to be some big renovations in 2018. The press box actually is going to come down. They're going to take out the press boxes, as you know it, at the top of the Coliseum, and they're going to build a temporary one down low on the same side and then be working, low, on, low, and, low, and then low. Be working on construction you know uh, behind song? it. Low, 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 low. No, it's a rap no, song. Sorry. All right, sorry. <laughs> Gonna move down low and get it. Okay. Slap happy. Um, okay, and he, Robert has a follow up. Are you taking time off from the fearsome twosome to prepare for the combine? Still trying to break six five in the forty. You know, I'm not preparing for the combine, Robert, but I am preparing for life. It's day ten. <laughs> I did just give in. Uh, the Rams catered some sandwiches up here. I did eat a sandwich that had bread on the outside. I haven't had carbs since January 1st. Um, Not necessarily preparing for the combine. I'm preparing for life, which means I will be ready for the combine if and when I need to run it, which is the (laughs) 40-yard dash, and I will beat Gary. No way. Well, I shouldn't say that. Gary, do you really think you'd beat me? You know what? I don't. You would come up with a hamstring injury so fast. We need to make sure Reggie Scott is on hand, ready to perform CPR. Here's one of our off-season projects will be to decide whether... We're going to do that. Because I think it would be fun if we did it. I just don't know if it's worth the risk, like you're saying, blowing out a hamstring Well, I'm not going to blow out a hamstring, but you might. I know. So I'll have to decide whether we want to do that. It would be really embarrassing if you lost, though, don't you? 100,000%. That's why I'm confident I'll win. It'd be incredibly embarrassing. Like, that'd be mortifying. So we'll see. Do you think there's, I mean, what do you think is deep down motivating me to, like, get in shape right now? The fact that that may come up? Yeah. Well, I may have to use that as motivation as well, then. Great. I just showed my cards. Steve Killingsworth says, uh, my drink, oh, no. Steve. Oh, this was a nice, I heard this tweet. <laughs> Let's Steve, read it. It was funny. Steve, you must be wasted right now. No, because I think but I've been, been pretty good. You've been laughing this whole podcast. In the question section, I think early on I was trying to save Steve uh, some alcohol poison. <laughs> Steve says my drinking game was to drink every times every time LA Times Klein laughed in the podcast. My liver is glad the season is over. Rams on top of the division next year. Yes, Steve, I have to tell you right now, Gary is bright red. He has his hand over his mouth. I'm, I'm trying not try, to laugh because I don't want to get this guy drunk if he's taking shots every time that I laugh. Steve, so. if you're home and you're not driving anywhere, buddy, drink away. Uh, you know, the NFC West is just getting to be a little bit wild. So, you know, the Rams are the champions this year. Knock off the Seattle Seahawks, who had been the cream of the crop for years and years. Um, and suddenly San Francisco gets that Jimmy Garoppolo trade done. They have their quarterback. They have uh, Kyle Shanahan. And then now you look even just what happened Wednesday in Seattle. They fire uh, their offensive coordinator. Their offensive line is out. So Pete Carroll really kind of going to start from scratch on his offense. Um, so this division is in place where the Rams have a head start right now on, mm-hmm. the, on the rebuilding. Means they could win it next year. Uh, Arizona still hasn't even named a head coach, mm-hmm. so I, they don't have Carson Palmer anymore. Um, so I would expect that Arizona would kind of be uh, at the bottom of the division for a year or two. What just depends. Just what? beyond, mm-hmm. yeah. And then um, between the Rams, San Francisco, and then I'd suspect it's going to take a couple of seasons for Seattle to get its groove back. It, it went from you know the NFC West, I think, kind of being regarded as weak. What's going to happen there? Not very interesting. To all of a sudden, one of the most interesting divisions mm-hmm. in the NFL. Uh, can the Rams maintain this? I thought San Francisco, even though the Rams weren't playing their starters, they looked like a confident 
confident team, Mm -hmm. like a team that was ready, you know, and they didn't, they finished with five straight wins. I think, I think they've got it going there. Pete Carroll and the Seahawks, I don't think you can count them out yet. They still have Russell Wilson. You'd think that they'd be able to come back strong, maybe not as dominant Mm -hmm. with that defense getting older, but, and you know, the Cardinals are a wild card at this point because, and not that's no pun, but to uh, the fact that we don't know who that coach is going to be and who Mm -hmm. their quarterback might be and what might happen in the draft. So, Interesting, interesting. Go MSL gets the final question of the overtime portion of the podcast here. He says, thanks for a great year of Rams coverage. I enjoyed pregame and walked to car periscopes. Thanks so much for watching those. Um, how is covering the program game different from college? Do players treat the press differently? Marquise Lee seemed to know you guys from SC days. Pro players is nice. See difference in fans. Um, it's a lot of questions. One tweet. It's okay. It's the last <laughs> one on the pod, so we'll get through it. Um, Okay, first off, Marquise Lee, yeah, definitely knew us from SC. Um, and that is one of the really fun aspects of co- covering these guys in the pros is just because Gary, I know Gary spent a long time in college. I spent uh, four or five seasons in college. And then to see these guys kind of blossom into their NFL careers when you got to watch them kind of develop as young men, it's really, really cool. And for that instance, I know you're referring to in Marquise when we were in Jacksonville. He ran up behind us when we were doing our periscope, <laughs> and, and I think he like actually scared me. Right. Um, but that's those are really cool moments, um, and I know that we look forward on, on different teams. You look forward to kind of running into guys that you've covered because at the end of the day, a lot of journalism really is it's a relationship business. It's about getting to know people. It's about telling their stories, um, you know, for better or worse sometimes. Um, but players understand you have a job to do. We understand they have a job to do. Um, but I think it's all about the relationships. And, and when you get to see some of these guys later down the road, it's really, I think it's very cool. And it's surprising sometimes because as much money as these guys are making, they're in like, and fr- they have friends in wherever they're at, those mm-hmm. outposts, whatever teams they're playing for. But it's amazing when you see them on the field, especially before games, when they recognize a, fami- a familiar face. It's almost like they're going, oh my gosh, you know, there's a, there's there's a connection, there's a connection from, you know, where I came from, whether Mm -hmm. it was college or whatever. So that, yeah, that is, that is kind of fun. And, and I just would say, you know, in regard to covering pro and college, you know, the college, those, those guys are truly kids, even though Mm -hmm. there's a machine at that level too, um, you know. At the college level, you're usually the first person to get to tell those stories, mm-hmm. right? I mean, maybe they've been written about in high school, but but you get a chance to really tell those guys' stories for the first time. The pros, it's a little bit tougher because their stories, a lot of parts of their stories have been written. Um, so you kind of, I think you kind of have to work harder to find a, an original angle mm-hmm. with some of these guys. Um, but I found the the you know across the board when I covered college football and when I've covered pro football, uh, these players. Even though you're not always writing the most complimentary things about mm-hmm. them, uh, because based on their performance, they seem to get it. And uh, you know, 99.9% of them are cooperative, uh, and you know, make your make 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 your job, or at least enable you to do your job in a way that uh, you know, to the best of your ability, so you can give readers a, a a window into what they're like. One thing that I did find strikingly different between covering a college player and an NFL player is that NFL players have obviously been around media much longer. So that can kind of um, change their view of the media in general. And a lot of these guys maybe don't differentiate and say, you know, this person's different from that person in the media. Like to them, we are all just media. Mm -hmm. Um, To some of them. I think some some of them. To some of them, Uh yeah. 
But but to some of them, it, it just is media. And mm. usually the ones who look at everyone blanket statement media have had some sort of tough experience with a member of the media, either through their college days, maybe their rookie season, first season, uh, second season of the NFL. Um, so to me, it's, that's what's kind of different about covering guys in the NFL. They kind of – everyone kind of has their history with the media. Um, and I know, like, for the Rams, there's a couple guys who, who've had previously um, a tough situations with a media member, not in L.A., but, like, maybe at their previous um, spot or maybe at their college. And that has shaped how they talk to us mm-hmm. or how they view us. Um, so I thought that was just kind of interesting this season in the NFL, really kind of getting a grasp on that, on, okay, maybe this is why this guy reacts to us in this way because um, there was a reporter who, you know, was unfair or – um, was fair and the athlete didn't like whatever it might be but once you kind of get deeper into your career there are some guys who've just you know turned away from the media because of a bad a bad experience where to me that's a lot different than in college in college it's just you know everyone's so new to it all the kids mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting yeah the other thing in the NFL at least the way it's gone where you know now you're interviewing people especially kind of the bigger name players at the podium uh, in a in a press conference situation, um, that's I not always, that. yeah. I, that's that's not that's not the best. Even that's the coach. The I mean, I hate talking to Sean McVay because I think I think there's things about Sean where. Um, well, you don't say you hate talking. I don't think you, no, you no, don't no, mean no, you don't, hate talking to him. No, 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 in no. That way, I, I'm fine with it, but I would much prefer talking to Sean McVay. You know, either with us just even standing next to him, putting on micro- the field, yeah, on like, the field, yes, yeah. Because I think that a little bit lost in translation this year is that at the end of the day, you know, Sean McVay wants to be professional. And he's very professional, and he um, comes in, answers questions, and, and he's very forthcoming about a lot of things. But I think that there is a little bit more of a genuine um, personality there in the sense of, like, yeah, I think he does genuinely get excited about things as a mm-hmm. 31-year-old coach. Um, and I don't know that – I think it kind of gets washed away when he's at the podium because he feels he needs to be so professional, and he does. He's mm-hmm. the face of the franchise. Um, but I, I would like a little more informal setting so we can get a little bit more of a genuine reaction to a few things. Because yeah. I think he lets his hair down. I mean, I don't think his hair actually moves. Have you the seen spike, that thing? It, yeah, it does, I'm sure it doesn't move, actually. Um, but I think that he's just a little more personable um, in a less formal setting, Yeah, which I, obviously makes sense. Yeah, but. and I think that goes – that's across the board, players too. They're a little bit so. Yeah. Anyway, you guys, we plan to keep it to an hour. <laughs> now we're in 21 minutes later. There you go. That's your season wrap up, look ahead podcast, the fearsome twosome. Uh, like we mentioned, we will be podcasting through the off season. I can't guarantee it's going to be next week. <laughs> I, but we it, it'll be regularly. So never fear. Um, we might be from the South Bay. Might be from Pasadena. Who knows? Heavens forbid, he- <laughs> heaven forbid, Gary and I might actually go into the office and do it there. <laughs> Probably not. We like this remote life. Uh, be sure to uh, check out the Los Angeles Times. Grab a subscription if you haven't. That always helps us in our budding journalism careers. Uh, Gary, anything to add to the podcast before we sign off? Nope, just as always. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for all the great questions and the feedback. And uh, keep them coming. Uh, periodically, I know I did the other day before the game kind of an instant mailbag uh, where we, I was answering questions on Twitter. I know Lindsay's done that in the past, too, so maybe that can help fill the void as well. And uh, if you feel as though you'd like to, head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating. Five stars. 
and a review. Always helpful in keeping the fearsome twosome alive. Thanks so much for listening.